Welcome to Tech Insights from Infotech Research Group, the podcast where our experts cut through all the noise and focus on what really matters for technology leaders. Ransomware is more of a threat than ever. There are more attacks happening than ever before, and the sophistication of those attacks is very advanced. We're talking about state-sponsored cyber criminal groups here. They're not messing around. They are deploying zero-day attacks on some of the most well-used software in business today. That's why the Kaseya ransomware incident from last year made the headlines and saw so much fallout. Do you really think your cybersecurity defenses could prevent ransomware? What would you do if you were hit by ransomware? How long would it take to recover? Today, we're going to hear about a real-world ransomware incident. I've interviewed a CIO at a U.S.-based mid-sized manufacturing firm that had a very close call with ransomware. How it unfolded provides a lot of insights about what to expect from ransomware and what needs to be done to prepare for it. Because of this nature of the interview, we're keeping the identity of that CIO anonymous. In their place, I have an actor recreating the interview. So the voice you'll be hearing is that of actor Michael Bedford. Thanks, Mike. Also joining us today is Infotech's Senior Director of Security Workshops, Sandy Silk. She helps our clients prepare for their worst nightmares when it comes to cybersecurity. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks, Brian. I'm happy to join you for this podcast episode. Yeah, thank you for being here to help me figure out how to take away the best insights from this story that uh, we heard. So what I'm going to do, Sandy, is play the first clip. So again, this is an actor reading the transcript of an interview that I've conducted. Let's play that first clip now about the discovery of the ransomware. We had a close call with a ransomware incident back in May. It was a really close call I'll never forget. On a Thursday afternoon, I got a call from my security director saying, we're seeing some odd things. So we put a call into Microsoft. So everything seemed sort of fine, but the next day at 9 p.m., I think it was, I got a call back and they say, I think it's someone running a crypto miner, which is not great, but it's not the end of the world. But a couple hours later, I got a call back, and they say it's not a crypto miner, it's a ransomware attack, and they have hundreds of our systems staged. It's a push-the-button kind of dangerous scenario. As soon as they execute, we're in trouble. For us, as a company that had invested in security over the last couple of years, we had this rude awakening that everything we'd done was not good enough. I had to make a really difficult decision, spur of the moment, to shut down our business. What that meant was that we disconnected all our global sites, we disconnected our access to every remote site. We made it so we could close every front door and back door that we could. All right, so Sandy, what do you make of this incident? It sounds like uh, it caught them by surprise, and at first they couldn't even properly identify it as ransomware. What do you make of that? Yeah, this pattern is very typical, Brian. An organization might detect some just initial odd activity, 
Uh, and the timing is classic, right? That's on a Thursday afternoon. Uh, and then they call in for some assistance. And then, of course, it's Friday night when they realize the extent of malware being staged in their environment. Um, I'm relieved they disconnected the network uh, as quickly as they did. It's a tough decision, but it is absolutely necessary uh, as it's very common for ransomware attacks to launch overnight or on weekends when staff will not be actively monitoring as much as they would during business hours. Uh, and it seems the attackers were setting up for a weekend initialization. Right. And that disconnection of the network can be scary if you're that CIO, right? Because you are doing something to disrupt the business there. Do you think that would be a stopping point for some uh, people in this scenario? It's not an easy decision to make. Uh, I, the difference of a ransomware incident type to many other security incident management uh, scenarios you're going to run through is it goes immediately from detection to containment. And if you don't cut, sever those connections immediately, it's going to spread so quickly uh, that your recovery, your loss of productivity is going to be much more severe. So this is one where you just want to disconnect as quickly as you can. And it's unfortunate and it it's a decision that needs to be made very quickly. Right, so it seems like CIOs need to be able to operate with that authority to make the decision that they're going to cut off certain services to the business. Uh, and more than that, I think they need to know their threat escalation protocols very early on so that maybe you can withstand one or two endpoints that are individual workstations. But as soon as you see a file share server or some other kind of server infected uh, with mail with ransomware that's just waiting to be initialized or already initialized, that's the point where you need to contain because it's going to spread so quickly from that hub out. Yeah, and whenever you hear about these incidents, you're sometimes curious about who's the perpetrator? Like if somebody reached out and made this attack, who's really behind it? And I asked our interview subject that question. What we learned from our particular instance is it was actually an original actor in Russia and likely started uh, with a government agency in Russia. And they sold us. That's why I call it a ransomware as a service. They then sold us to another group that was in the process of doing that. The name of the group, <laughs> they really need to work on their branding, was uh, Doppelspider. <laughs> That's the tricky one. We think this was actually pretty sophisticated and well-coordinated. Okay, so this group is called Doppel Spider. Well, what do you make of this? That sounds about right. Um, as for the name, there is actually a zoology naming convention associated with the attack groups. You'll hear about pandas, spiders, and bears, right? Oh my. Um, <laughs> the, the spider affiliation of attackers focuses on e-crime, making money through their attacks. Uh, Doppelspider evolved or splintered off from Indrik Spider, also known as Evil Corp, which has a Russian hacker for its leader. Uh, and they focused initially on banking attacks 
using the Drydex Trojan. And then some members left to develop Drydex 2.0 or Duple Drydex, uh, hence Duple Spider. And then their ransomware malware code got rebranded as Grief, so pay or grief, um, perhaps to distance themselves from Evil Corp and avoid the U.S. Department of Treasury OFAC sanctions against transactions with Evil Corp. It's all very Mr. Robot. Right. Yeah, it's interesting that you can learn a little bit just from the naming conventions there. So that's a good insight. So now that we know who did it, let's think about what this person, what this CIO had to do uh, in the immediate aftermath of the attack to sort of uh, recover from it. Let's hear that now. We were fully shut down for only 24 hours, and that's still a massive impact. From that point on, we launched our cybersecurity insurance policy steps. We engaged an expert, in this case for us it was CrowdStrike, and we spent the next couple of weeks slowly restoring service to the business until we got back to a normalized state. It was 10 days before everything was back online. We had graduated capabilities coming back online over the course of that time until finally a cloud provider gave us the green light to turn back on connectivity. It wasn't fully down for two weeks, but that's how long before we could take a deep breath and say, we're through this. The first objective was to install a new ransomware detection and prevention tool. We had to roll it as fast as we could, new software to over 2,000 computers and systems. We tried to push that automatically as much as we could. We could, thankfully, because we had technology to push to people working from home even, through distributed cloud. As we identified systems that were infected, we had one of two actions to take. We could quarantine them, pull them off the network, and stop them from furthering the attack. The second piece was that we got to work on cleaning, with the security team we worked with from CrowdStrike. They were able to go in and run some scripted processes that kind of cleaned things up. But sometimes that didn't work, and that resulted in some full rebuilds of systems. And that was one of the first steps we took when we found out we had a security incident. We did immediately disconnect our backup systems from the network until we felt we'd recovered security to a reasonable level because they're going to go after those backups so you can't restore. That's an important step. The biggest thing was restoring public internet connectivity. We're a cloud-first organization when you think about email and collaboration tools and file access and a lot of things that sit in Microsoft Azure. That's painful. When we talk about the people side, what we actually did during this period of time is we shifted everyone to work from home because they had internet there. We got the word out that people shouldn't come in and they should perform their work from home. For me personally, I worked more in that one week than I'd ever worked in my life more than 130 hours. I'd never worked through a crisis like that before. I would have never estimated the amount of communication needed during an event like that. With your stakeholders, attorneys, service suppliers, it was kind of never ending. It was never ending, and the lesson there is that you want to think about your business continuity scenarios ahead of time and how you're going to manage communications during a crisis. 
So the first thing that strikes me here, Sandy, is that they did have cybersecurity insurance in place. And we actually heard in our tech trends survey that that's a very popular way to prepare for ransomware. Uh, do you recommend that? Well, I always recommend insurance against what could be very expensive um, losses. Um, Cybersecurity insurance is getting a little more um, demanding uh, as far as what you need to have in place in order to be approved for uh, an account, but also the warranties that you're going to have to make, which will affect your premium. So uh, the exercise of just having to get a good baseline of security in order to qualify for cybersecurity insurance and have a reasonable premium is absolutely worth the effort. Uh, plus many uh, insurance uh, accounts, insurance policies are going to come with extras, extra services such as forensic agents ready to come to your to your aid, um, help negotiate ransomware, ransom payments, uh, and also manage notification centers, call centers, as well as how do you respond to the media. So these they have experts who have done this before. And if it's your first time at this rodeo, you want to take advantage of their expertise. Right. So you get more there beyond just the insurance, right? The the event of uh, the protection from the event of loss. You actually get some expertise that they're applying around the, the risk management. So good to keep that in mind. And then the next part of this that stands out to me is that they were actually um, able to sort of send their employees home and continue their operations. That sounds like they were prepared from a business continuity point of view. Yeah, and certainly I think many of us are more able to do that now that um, in the current stages of pandemic, we certainly have yeah. more, but especially IT, we're always ready to work from home with round-the-clock coverage. Um, you know, whenever I hear these stories, though, uh, of being down without certain systems, it takes me back to Y2K years, days, mm -hmm. um, where you really had to think about how do we conduct business if systems are down, if we're in the worst case situation, and this is coming around again for us. So um, just being able to look to say, what are our critical business processes and how do we do them if we're somewhat crippled with core systems down or critical systems down. Yeah, so that can go beyond cybersecurity, right? Because there's many reasons that your business could be disrupted in that way. Absolutely. So just being being ready for the worst. Yeah. And finally, um, this person reached out to work with CrowdStrike. We heard that. Mm -hmm. And what do you think um, is the importance of going to work with uh, cybersecurity services vendor uh, on that level um, to get some help? Well, they're going to be the experts in this. And certainly uh, when it comes to trying to remove um, the embedded malware that's waiting for initialization, right? Before you bring your systems back online, you want to make sure you're not reintroducing a corrupted system back into a clean environment. Uh, in most cases, flattening and rebuilding from a known good image is going to be your safest option. But these companies, these organizations that this is their expertise, they have scripts that they can run and see where are my contaminated points? How, what's the best way to tackle this? What do I need to preserve? 
you know, when you're talking forensics, that's a very specific uh, set of skills to hold up in any kind of legal proceedings as well. Uh, and they'll have connections to law enforcement as well. So it just, it lifts a lot of that uncertainty uh, and the, the kind of skills that come from experience off of your shoulders and just knowing that these are people who do this regularly and, and they're always getting more information about it that we just can't keep up with. Wow, the way you describe it, it sounds like Liam Neeson must work for this uh, firm with a specific set of skills, right? Absolutely. I'm coming to find you. <laughs> so, Sandy, then let's think about what our uh, CIO had to do uh, in the aftermath of this and how did they follow up to sort of reprioritize security given this incident? And I think this is sort of the best insight for all of us to because there's nothing like clarifying your priorities than having a close call incident like this that caused a lot of pain. So let's listen in on the follow-up measures. Our whole mindset has shifted on this. We now invest in a 24 by seven security operations center. We don't do it internally. We have an outsourced relationship and that has proved to be incredibly fruitful. They are watching. They are taking immediate action and they are elevating to us when they need immediate assistance. We also have put on a more superior endpoint protection solution that is looking at not just profiles, but behaviors that would tip us off to activity. So we have a more sophisticated detection and response model now. We did a lot of other things that really made it much harder for this event to happen again, like multi-factor authentication across the board and changes to other policies and passwords segmentation and firewalls and I could keep going. Our thought before was that we're not a financial services firm, we're a manufacturing firm with some IP, but we realized the world has really changed. So we have a whole different response now that not only block people from getting in, but if someone gets in, we're going to find their activity and immediately shut it down and not let it stray. We've doubled our spend on security. We have new outsource relationships and we hired one more person full-time. That person we're hiring is more process-oriented, more than technology-oriented. They're thinking about good policies and good security practices more than installing a new firewall. We're hitting it across those elements as well. We were fortunate that we had an empathetic and progressive executive team. They looked at the scenario and said, this is no one's fault. This is big and hard, and what we need to do is to take the actions we now consider the cost of doing business. You let us know what the cost of doing business is, and that's the new benchmark. We were cognizant of the impact of the business due to the shutdown and the pain it caused, so having that be so present and visible helped us. We don't have to justify this anymore. This is table stakes now. You're never going to be able to stop everything. We still focus on keeping out the bad actors, but when someone gets in, we make sure their access is cut off immediately. Okay, 
So looks like the executive team is ready to pay up and actually do what it takes to make sure that security is a priority now. Do you find that this is common still, that um, CIOs feel like they don't really have the right resources to invest in uh, proper security strategy? Oh, how many of us feel that we have all the money we need to uh, to protect our assets? Um, well, you certainly never leave any good crisis uh, unleveraged. Uh, unfortunate that they had to go through, at least it was a near miss like this one. Um, I, I think their approach of the, the tripod of people, process, and technology is the most stable foundation so many people look for that silver bullet with technology, um, but no one leg of the tripod's going to prevent impact from an incident on its own, right? Look at all the communication that had to be done, right? That's not technology that's going to do that. You've got people in process. Um, I, I encourage organizations to seek a balance of prevention, detection, and response capabilities. Look at defense in depth. No single vulnerability or process breakdown enables a major incident. There will be multiple opportunities to stop, constrain, impede, or contain unauthorized or unintended activities. Uh, and as, as we learned from this example, don't think just because you don't have high value information that you're not a target. Uh, we look at the security triad as being confidentiality, integrity, and availability. And now we're seeing these attacks trying to knock systems offline or corrupt systems. And when you have operational technology and industrial systems, that means you're a target. And anyone looking to make money uh, can just knock your systems offline, corrupt them, take down your backups to make restoration more difficult, uh, and hope that you'll pay up so that you can get your productivity back up and your customers back online. So it's a balance to see what's it going to cost to put the protections in place. And you really have to look to say, what's it cost if we're down for 24 hours or a week and figure out what's your tolerance level? Yeah. And in some ways, I, I think that this leadership team does sound enlightened uh, because they didn't seek to lay blame, right? I think a lot of CEOs might just point a finger and say, well, uh, you're fired because you failed to uh, secure us and that was your accountability. But that might not actually get you ahead in terms of improving your security, right? Well, there's always improvement, right? There's the uh, you know Kaizen, continuous improvement. Uh, and frankly, the attackers are improving their techniques and tactics and processes all the time. So we have to keep improving ours as well, right? It only takes one failure on our part. And yet it can be many failures from the hackers that we don't hear about. Uh, so I would also say uh, when you see activity uh, events that did not turn into incidents, make sure you're also telling your leadership about that so that they see the value of the protections, the processes that you've put in place. Uh, so they're, you know, you're certainly not going to say how many email you're blocking every day, but how many events that you detected contained quickly so that they really understand this, this was loss avoided. Right. And what do you make of all the new security measures that this firm is taking now? Um, 
segmentation and firewalls uh, were listed among the responses, multi-factor authentication, a more sophisticated detection and response model, and even going as far as contracting out a 24-7 security operations center with real-time monitoring. So it's a lot. Um, what, do, what do you make of all of those measures? Uh, it's it's a good plan. Certainly being realistic about where your skills in-house lie versus what you need to outsource to an expert to to a company that this is all they do is improve their abilities in this space. You know, f figure out what makes more sense, especially when you're looking at the off hours, who's monitoring evenings and weekends, and especially the holiday weekends, because our attackers have our calendars and they know when we're taking time off for these long holiday weekends. And that's when they're going to attack. It's always a Friday afternoon of those coming weekends. Um, but they're looking at the, the very good, strong authentication, least privilege so that someone gets in, cannot move across your network to those high value um, active directory, global policy rules, um, segment your most critical assets. So even if someone can get into the lower valued, they're not moving sideways. Uh, and then really understand if worst case happens, what's my backup uh, schedule look like? Because that's fitting together all the pieces of the puzzle. You have to restore things in a certain order. Uh, and you want to make sure that you've, you've got the fulls and the incremental backups matching up so all the gears turn in the right direction at the right time. Okay. Well, thanks for your analysis today, Sandy. Um, certainly, I don't think most CIOs or any CIO really would want to find themselves in the situation that uh, our case study was here today. But hopefully, Sandy's tips here have given you some ideas of, of what it would really take to prevent that and realize that it might get hit, but it's all in how you respond to it and how quickly you can recover from it. So thanks again, Sandy, for being here today on Tech Insights. My pleasure. Thanks, Brian. And for our listeners, thanks for tuning in. If you haven't subscribed yet, make sure that you hit that button. You'll be hearing more great interviews with business leaders uh, in the days ahead, even, one, even some that are not anonymous. So make sure that you subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever podcast app you like. For Infotech Research Group, I'm Brian Jackson.